This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I heard, when I heard it's just the tone, I didn't need to hear a single word, just the tone. I knew, uh-oh, pull over, stop, put the brake on, open the doors. Hey, you know, you sound mad. What do you need? What do I need to help you? What, how can I help you? Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Is it just me, or are things feeling pretty tense out there in the world? Every other day, it seems like there's some altercation wherever I happen to be. A couple weeks ago, there was a loud dispute at the post office when I was standing in line between a customer and a postal worker. And then another day, I was eating lunch at a park, and this couple just started screaming at each other. And it seemed like it might get violent, but... We were all just sitting there, trying to pretend it wasn't happening. Now, some of this is part of city living, I know, but it all just feels a bit extra right now, and in some places, totally out of control. A road rage incident coming to a head in the middle of a Palm Coast neighborhood. Two men duking it out, rolling around Boston on the Creek ground. Police say a confrontation erupted between a customer and an employee inside a Walmart. Detectives say the woman punched a flight attendant after refusing to comply with mask requirements. Maybe this is understandable, given the 18 months of anxiety, uncertainty, isolation, and, and real suffering that many millions of people have been experiencing. What's harder to understand is what to do about it. It's funny because I wrote a whole book about getting out of entrenched conflict, and yet I often feel under-equipped to handle these kinds of sudden public outbursts. So today we're turning to two people from different walks of life who are both veterans in the art of defusing ugly confrontations. My name is Dan Christensen. I'm a bus driver in Portland, Oregon, and I've driven all over the metro area and dealt with lots of different people, lots of different situations. My name is Matt Smith. Uh, I'm a trainer. I travel around the country and I teach people to prevent and de-escalate crisis. How do you each feel about what I just said? Do things feel extra tense to you? I know I'm definitely seeing the same thing, just generally speaking, the, just an angst, something in the air. I can see the same thing. Uh, people are a little more tense. So if people are getting on your bus, like what, what's their stress level on average, would you say today these days, Dan? People are just the, the their fuse is shorter. Mm. Uh, uh, I think they've kind of gotten used to some levels of stress, but 
but it never goes away. You know, stress just stays. So it's not like it goes back to zero when you're walking around. It's always at two or three or four. And then someone comes and adds two more layers to that. And all of a sudden you're at five and you're like, ah. Yeah, it, it's like the the buffer is 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 lower, right? Um, oh, for sure. The stacking of accumulated stress. Um, yeah, and Matt, for are sure. you are you seeing a lot of demand for de-escalation training or? Yeah, quite a bit. We've actually been having trouble keeping up with it. You know, like for example, last week I was uh, at a, a hospital in Montana, and they had people stacked up outside the emergency department. Mm. Still, so I think. Yeah, we're, we're being called in quite a bit. Um, the demand is high for us, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> right, right. Like, are you succeeding or, or is the world failing? Like, it's hard yeah, to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have, we have a, I have a strange barometer for success in my world. So. <laughs> On today's show, how do we navigate this crackle of tension that's in the air these days without making things worse? This is such an important and pressing topic for so many people right now that we're actually going to devote two episodes to it. In this episode, we're going to dive into what's causing these over-the-top reactions and teach you two simple steps that can help defuse an impending blow-up before it happens. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. This August, a Frontier Airlines flight was traveling from Philadelphia to Miami when a drunk, angry 22-year-old man allegedly groped two flight attendants and then punched a third. This altercation made national news after the flight attendants duct taped the passenger to his seat for the duration of the flight. The flight crew is now on paid leave pending an investigation while the man has been charged with three counts of battery. 
So far this year, the FAA says they've already had to investigate more than seven times the usual number of unruly passenger incidents, even though flights still aren't as crowded as they were. And it's not just the airline industry. We've all heard stories by now of bad behavior in restaurants, hospitals, school board meetings, you name it. So what is going on here? I use the analogy of the cup. Their cup is half full. And when somebody's cup gets full, they're bursting. And Mm. uh, I think people have their cup half full and they're like, oh, this is the new normal. I'm going to walk around my cup half full. It's very dangerous. What Dan is saying here is that the water in our cups is already at a simmer and it just doesn't take much for it to boil over. A lot of it is people feel trapped. You can't get Mm. away from this argument, right? Anytime you have a person who's under stress, if you add confinement, and now that could be ideological confinement or physical confinement, then you are pushing things higher on the stress level. There's a different kind of psychological confinement when you're like, oh, this is happening again, or this is still going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, and that, right. that it's not the stress per se, but that feeling of powerlessness of confinement into the situation that you can't escape from. Oh, that's so interesting that you say that, that feeling of being trapped. Because I remember when I used to research disasters, what we find is that people very rarely become antisocial in most disasters. And there have to be several conditions present for that to happen, for people to just freak out and start punching each other. Um, And one of them is that they feel trapped, that there's no way out. So if confinement of any kind tends to escalate conflict, one way to de-escalate is the opposite, or what the pros like to call egress. Egress is a fancy word for, I got the heck out of there, I ran away, <laughs> I, put, I put a wall between or a door between me and someone or something else. In the context of writing an incident report or explaining what happened, it sounds a lot better than saying I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> That's a euphemism. I got you. Yeah. So it could be just an exit, a path out, a way out. Okay. Uh, I wonder if we could just sort of back up for a second, because I'm, I'm, I have a lot of questions about, you know, tactics for both of you. But before we go there, I want to know how both of you came to this subject. I mean, Matt, let's start with you. How did you get into crisis management? Like a lot of people that work in my industry, I think they have a personal connection to this line of work. And in an indirect way, that kind of brought me to something called wilderness therapy. I don't know if this concept is familiar to anyone. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Dan, even though we work with a few programs in your backyard out there in Oregon. Yeah. But it's a pretty simple concept. You take a bunch of teenagers that have, that are experiencing life disruptive, serious uh, behavioral issues, concerns, diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health issues, and as a, a very high-level intervention are taken, usually against their will, into a wilderness environment and then exposed to therapy and working with, with uh, instructors and staff that guide them through this experience. And I spent the better part of my 20s working in wilderness therapy. And uh, it would be rare to get through a day without being in crisis with multiple wow. different teenagers. So it was surviving the teenagers, not like the the animals in the wilderness so much. <laughs> yeah, that that part's easy once you once you spend a little time out there. <laughs> the animals are predictable, right? Yeah. 
Sometimes it was literally survival. Sometimes it was psychological survival. Sometimes it was emotional survival on our side as frontline professionals. And then I, I found a home as a CI trainer because I discovered I had a lot of experience getting beat up in, in a clinical setting and, and had some success de-escalating, had some, uh, gain, you know, gleamed some of my own unique insights. And that was my path into this kind of training environment. Are some of the lessons you learned in the wilderness survival context applicable to what you do when you train, you know, nurses or uh, doctors or police officers? Uh, honestly, yes. I, I learned more in that period of my life than the rest of my life comparatively uh, about de-escalation, interacting with people, you know, bringing the empathy, a rapport-based approach, what we refer to as a, now as a crisis two-step is, you know, what I believe and I'm convinced is the path forward, whether it's a simple example, having a quick interaction with someone on a bus, whether it's a long drawn out process, I learned that in wilderness therapy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I should have asked Dan, what, what made you decide to start uh, driving a bus to begin with? Uh, well, I didn't want a boss. Uh-huh. I was lucky is at first I had a trainer who'd been a bus driver since the days of shift sticks in buses. One of the early things he said is you gotta, you gotta make up your mind. Are you just going to be a, a driver or are you going to be an operator? There's some people who drive and it's just like they're a passenger. They're just right. another passenger who happens to be behind the wheel. That means that sometimes things happen and they get away from you or you're not paying attention the way you should. So you don't, you don't hear the symptoms or see the signs. And uh, I, I, that kind of got me thinking. And then I started reading about, in my family, this would be called hippy-dippy thinking, but uh, I started reading about uh, nonviolent communications mm -hmm. and how to use nonviolent communications to overcome um, hostile reactions or people who are stuck in the fight mode. Before we game out how to react to someone, we first need to understand what's happening in their brains when they're feeling trapped and why most of the time our own intuition for calming them down is totally wrong. In, in simple terms, we're at greater risk of going into survival mode, going into what people typically refer to as fight or flight, which is kind of groomed in all of us through many years of evolution. So. The emotional brain essentially takes over and cuts the feed to the thinking brain. So when people are, the term we use is hijacked, when they're overrun with their emotional center, they are at greater risk of becoming more combative, more reactive, more aggressive. And what kind of feeds some of this conflict that we, from our perspective, what we see is that and someone that's intervening or trying to calm someone down or talk someone down when they're, they're escalated on a bus or they're screaming and barking at you is we tend to appeal to their thinking brain or try and quote unquote reason or rationalize with the person and encourage them to see our perspective. And we're dealing with a cave person because that's what, it's the same process that would happen 10,000 years ago. So true. So uh, that's perfect. You know, I came to this a different way. I came to this because we use this driving system to drive safe called the Smith system. And one of the rules is always leave yourself an out hmm. when you're driving. Don't get, don't corner yourself. And uh, I use that, that rule with people. Like always the first thing I do, pull over, secure the bus, open the doors. Three things you got to do immediately. 
Hmm. Open the doors. Give the person an out. Don't corner that person. Don't push it to the next level. And I, I always assume as a bus driver, I'm the only person on the bus unarmed. So <laughs> I'm not interested in having anything, even a remote fraction of a percentage chance of escalating. I want things to not escalate. Yeah, that's really wise. Here's another insight. When we as humans feel trapped, our thinking brains get hijacked. This is why it's extremely important to provide someone with that escape route, or at the very least, not corner them, literally or figuratively. When we come back, we're going to learn Matt's elegantly simple two-step crisis response. Stay with us. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy how-to, the best way to support our show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Your contribution helps us produce these stories that you hear in our feed every week. It's only $1 for the first month. And in addition to supporting our journalism, members never hear an ad on a Slate podcast and never hit a paywall on the Slate website. Slate Plus members are essential to keeping this show going, so I hope you'll join us if you're able. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. We're back with our Portland bus driver, Dan Christensen, and crisis intervention trainer, Matt Smith. Before we jump into Matt's two-step de-escalation playbook, Let's do a quick thought exercise. Close your eyes and think of the last time you were really, truly angry. Maybe your heart was pounding, you might have started yelling or cursing or otherwise lost it. All very human reactions. Surely, looking back on it, it was for a very good objective reason, right? If you were frustrated enough to yell or furious enough to want to fight someone. Or maybe, in retrospect, we can admit that the thing that made us explode that time wasn't that big of a deal. It was just the last straw. Dan deals with this kind of stuff all the time on his bus. For instance, last month he had to step in before a fight broke out because someone was accidentally poking the person next to them. Uh, this per other person had like a guitar and uh, all sorts of stuff and really wasn't managing their physicality very well so it was bumping him and kept hitting him and mm -hmm. he he just got he just blew and uh he stood up 
and you know was towering over this guy it seemed like it was going to be a big thing by the words he was using but i what words was he using oh he uh, he was threatening the man he was uh you know uh going to force him to move okay. and uh you know that guy's starting to respond and uh, his levels going up then i said how can i help you and if i can get you so he's not poking you and you can ride in peace the rest of the way you're going to be fine and he said yeah and i'm like good have a seat up here by me and i talked to him and i realized this is one of those situations where the cup was half full from life and covid and everything Mm -hmm. and that was just a step too much that's a that's a great little example and there's actually a term in psychology for this called stacking And it's Hmm. when you have multiple stressors stacked on top of each other and you just can't take it anymore. So you react to to the top stacked stressor um, much in a much bigger way than you might if it was the first stressor. And so it sounds like what you were doing, Dan, was kind of unstacking (laughs) some of that stress uh, in a very efficient way. Right. Help empty the cup. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. In just a few seconds, Dan actually did something really profound there and exactly what our trainer, Matt, would recommend. Win rapport, achieve a rapport, gain a rapport, come with the empathy, consider someone's perspective, communicate your recognition of their struggle or whatever's going on for them, even maybe even in a simple high speed context, and then assert yourself with, you know, your your request, your directive while avoiding a power struggle. That's kind of the the sauce, the secret sauce there. Yeah, I think about this a lot that you boiled it down. If you had to do it in just like five words, if you could only do a haiku about de-escalation, I think it was something like earn rapport, utilize rapport, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a simple recipe that works. People have made great effort to resolving not just de-escalation, but resolving conflict in general. Um, I don't know if you've run into this, Amanda, but almost like they want to give people a sequence or this like 12 step process of do these 12 things in any situation and you will win. By win, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll calm someone down. They'll calm down. You won't have to deal with anymore. You win. And it's just, that's not where the rubber meets the road in our experience. It doesn't really work like that. We want to give people a tool, a concept like the crisis two step. And we think that's more helpful. That's so true because you know, they give you a 12 step program in some training, you're going to remember two of those steps (laughs) and maybe not the first two when all of a sudden someone's standing in your face. Right. Uh, (laughs) And it, if it's just ridiculous, the situation, they don't understand the difference between someone being mad, uh, uh, angry, outraged, uh, beyond control, ready to fight. You know, that's like, there's no scale. It's just, you know, A, B, C, and that's, I think, the the art of de-escalation is that even if you do everything right, it may still not work the way you want. Yeah. So, but I, uh, my, one of my biggest things uh, I've done is say, you know, what do you need? Hmm. And it, kind of stuns them for a second um what do you need what do you need me to do for you and it because when people are mad they want you to answer them right 
shut up, go away. What, what hell do you care? You know, just drive the bus. They want you to answer them. Hmm. But if, but when, uh, in, in some of those conflicts, if you say, Hey, Hey, what do you need right now? You sound mad. What do you need? Yeah. I, I relate a lot uh, to what you're saying, Dan. I, sorry to jump in, but just like, what I, it, I think people in a way, and maybe I'm wondering what you think about this. I think they expect that. They expect the conflict. They expect to be treated in that way. And when you come with something just a little different, maybe a little more empathic, I think it can really move the rock and help out quite a bit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you're there, you're asking a question, first of all, Mm -hmm. which interrupts, you know, interrupts the... The script. The script. The script in their head. Yeah. Yeah. Coming with something different really just has has a more helpful kind of vibe to it. I think that so to put into like to maybe add a word to what you're talking about, Dan, we would talk about that as a presupposition. So saying to someone, hey, what do you need right now? Or like what, what's going to be helpful to you? Uh, there's a presupposed element to that statement that says there's something here that's helpful. We have options. This doesn't have right. to escalate. And just at the especially at the onset of an intervention, if you want to call it that. That can move that whole interaction transactionally between you and that person in a completely different and more positive direction. And then, you know, yeah. you might still want to have the door of the bus open, but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times it'll be more helpful than something else. <laughs> Let's just recap for a moment. As soon as you see someone getting really agitated, create an escape route for them and for you. Remember that word egress? Cornering them will only make things worse. Next, if you can, remember the crisis two-step. Earn rapport and utilize rapport. Sometimes you can interrupt someone who's spiraling just by acknowledging their struggle and asking them what they need in a way that assumes there are other options. Right, right. So if they say, I need this guy to stop, you know, poking me, or I need this guy to stop hitting me, and then I'll say, hey, so what you're saying is if I can get you someplace where you're not being touched or poked by anyone, you're going to be fine on the rest of this trip. And the guy will go, yeah. And I go, great. Here's a seat right here. Well, I want to give you both a scenario. I have a lot of these. This is when I handled conflict badly. Years ago, I was on a public bus in D.C. with my son. And he was probably, I don't know, nine years old. And we were going to his Aikido class. It's like martial arts. And uh, at some point, there were two guys behind me, older guys, and one of them closed the window. And the other one didn't like it. They didn't know each other. And he, they started arguing. It was real quiet. It was like only we could hear, only the row in front of them could hear them. And they just started threatening each other. And the one guy, he said to the other, he's like, I'm going to cut you, motherfucker. And the other guy was like, let's go right now, right now. And it was like really quiet and, and strange. And it just had this icy feeling where my son and I both kind of froze. And I'm not proud to admit this, especially you guys. Um, <laughs> I just turned around and started yelling at them, basically. Because <laughs> I, I, was, I was afraid. And when I get really afraid, particularly when I haven't done the training and the work I need to do, I get angry. And that's my defense mechanism. And I was like, what are you guys, what, what the hell is wrong with you? There's a kid here. What is wrong with you? You know, and I just started yelling at them. And, and then we got off the bus. And my son, he turns to me, starts yelling at me. <laughs> He's like, mom, why you can't just yell at people, you know? And he storms off to go to Aikido, which is a defensive martial art, I just want to add. Um, <laughs> you're not supposed to take the offense. Um, but anyway, I, I think about that a lot now and how, 
you know, how might I have handled that differently since I'm not the driver, right? I don't, I don't have the role of um, any authority at all. Um, do either of you have any thoughts on what could someone do in that situation? Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, I can relate a lot to you. Like, I, I feel like I've made a lot of mistakes in crisis myself throughout my career and in my personal life. And I think that comes with the territory. And I've got a really short answer for this and then also a really long answer. So maybe I'll start with a short one where I, I think egress would have been a good... <laughs> <laughs> a good <laughs> option right here. And, and, you know, not to play with that point, but like Dan was talking about, no matter how skilled you are at de-escalation, someone can be too interrupted. Someone could be on a chemical. The situation could be too far gone. And a physical response such as egressing is, it would, is definitely a good idea. Sure, sure. So that's my very simple answer it would be just, just get the heck out of there. And what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. I mean, people people go to anger in those situations. I think, generally speaking, people are way more reactive when their kids are involved. I know I'm more reactive to other drivers mm -hmm. when my kid's in the backseat. Yeah, you get that protective mama bear, papa bear thing going on. and Totally. I don't know. How would a bear have responded? Probably the same way. <laughs> Somebody's getting eaten. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But I want to be evolving. That's my goal. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, what's the Higher long answer, order Matt? Than <laughs> I mean, the long answer is like just validate what's going on for them. Like you're pissed about the window closed. You're pissed about the window open. Where's this leave us? Like we've got a minute here. You can slash this guy later. Like let's just pump the brakes. Like it's not about the window being open or closed. That's just the thing that people are latching onto. It's about one guy feeling disrespected or humiliated by the other guy closing, quote unquote, his window. Maybe that guy rides the bus all the time and that seat in that window is his territory and the other guy closing it's a threat to his identity and his you know, space in the world. Maybe that's just the top of the stack of all the things that's been going on for this guy. Like if you're having a bad day, I can hear that. I'm a good listener. Why don't you throw something at me so we don't all have to go down this road together. Huh. Okay. So you're earning rapport. That's what's happening there is you're validating, Hey, I can see this is, you guys are pissed off and you want this and you want that. So like they feel seen and heard. And, and so that takes a, a little wind out of the sail, hopefully. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a, we like to say it's the easiest hard thing you could do in this moment because people like we talk about just get into fix it mode. Well, this guy wants the window closed. This guy wants the window open. How do I solve that problem? You're not going to fix that problem in this acute crisis situation. If my child's involved, I practice aggressive aggression. Okay. <laughs> that is always the first step okay. is, uh, don't, don't gang up. Don't surround. Don't stay near, move away, move away. That is vital because, uh, no situation is made better by confinement. But if I had to resolve that, I would have just stood up and said, whoa, I'm scared for my daughter here, but we'll move. You can have my seat. Mm, mm. Right? It's just say, look, here, here's a seat. You can do what you want. Don't say open window, close window. Just like, I'm scared. That way they all of a sudden are realizing, whoa, this is affecting other people. And you take your child and say, look, you've scared us but I will give you out my seat. You can do what you want, move away. But what happens if there is no way out? What should you do when things get truly dangerous? 
What is your responsibility to those around you, even as just another passenger on a bus or on a train? Police say this man verbally attacked a Muslim woman on a train and that when Good Samaritans came forward to help, he stabbed them to death. Next week, we're going to talk about a public confrontation that ended in the worst possible way. An attack on Portland's light rail system that made national news in which two people were fatally stabbed. What went wrong there and what can we learn from it? It turns out that the guy who committed that terrible act used to ride on Dan's bus. And Dan has some unique insights into what might have helped prevent that tragedy and others. The whole situation saddens my heart so much. And I always feel if I was on that train, I could have helped. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, we want to know, have you ever been in public when something went suddenly awry? What did you do right or wrong? Did you egress? Did you interrupt their spiral? Something else we haven't mentioned yet? Let us know. Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's also the place where you can send in any other problems that you need help solving. We always love to hear from you. And if you like what you heard today, of course, give us a rating, a review, and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. See you next time.